Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Renee Garfinkel, your host on the New Books Network with the Van Leer Jerusalem series on ideas. You can subscribe to our series on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. I'm pleased to welcome Melvin Connor to the show today to talk about his recent book, Believers, Faith in Human Nature. Melvin Connor is Samuel Candler Dobbs Professor in the Department of Anthropology in the Program in Neuroscience and Behavioral Biology at Emory University. He is the author of several books, including Women After All and The Targeted Wing. Melvin Connor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you. Mel, before we begin talking about your book, tell us a little bit about yourself. Was there someone or an experience or an idea that was especially influential in your own intellectual development? Oh, so many. Uh, I mean, in terms of my uh, the religious part of my intellectual development, uh, my grandfather uh, was a great influence. I, I vividly remember him uh, uh, putting on Solon and Dobbining in the sun in the sunlit parlor in our apartment. Um, and I used to watch him, and he he um, uh, he ensured that I got a really good uh, religious education, Jewish education. In fact, he yeah, I also remember him teaching me the Aleph Beit, which he would have called the Aleph Base, uh, from the uh, the headline headlines of the uh, of the Forbits, which is a paper, uh, the Yiddish paper that he got every day. And uh, so then I was, I, I, you know, my parents uh, uh, were were um, were lifelong sufferers of, of uh, extreme uh, hearing loss, and and uh, and so I was. They were telling me to listen to my teachers and my rabbi, and and uh, and I spent. Uh, I was in the synagogue every day from about age eight till uh, seventeen or sixteen, and and um, my my uh, rabbi was an it was a modern Orthodox uh, synagogue, and I uh, was very very influenced by by the community there, but especially by the rabbi um, Bernard Berson. Um, and um, uh, then I, I had certain um, teachers in high school and uh, college who were very influential, uh, especially one, one history, uh, world history professor uh, uh, named Dora Bennett, who, who um, I had for two years worth of world history and, and um, I became. Uh, I, I, I mean, I had I had already uh, um, grown up among among uh, Shoah survivors, and, and um, I was born the year after uh, after the Second World War, and um, um, <clears throat> my parents later told me that my my conception had been postponed. Until uh, after the closing of the gas chambers, um, mm. and uh, so uh, it, the the, the uh, between that and my and the history uh, of the world that I learned <laughs> from uh, Mrs. Janet, I I, I I became very interested in human nature. Uh, you know, I later learned. Uh, Read, read James Joyce, and and one of the characters says history is a in Ulysses says history is a nightmare from which I am trying to wake up, <laughs> and uh, and there was an aspect to um, to my understanding of his, history, um, especially in the wake of, of the Shoah that that and yesterday uh, was, was Holocaust Remembrance Day, of course. Uh, uh, and that 
uh, and and I was watching some uh, some documentary uh, film on it. Uh, it it. It is an it is a, history is in many ways a, a nightmare despite yeah. uh, progress and and uh, and so I, I you know so roundabout way of saying that I I became because I was also interested in biology I wanted to become a doctor I wanted to go to medical school uh, I, I I became very interested in the possibility of, of trying to understand uh, human nature from uh, from a biological or biopsychological viewpoint. Why was it important to you to counter the arguments of the four best-known contemporary atheists, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Daniel Dennett, and the late Christopher Hitchens? So, um, just just back up a little and say that after my religious upbringing, I, I... um, I lost my faith at age 17. Uh, became involved in, in left-wing politics. I, you know, I became committed to to the uh, evolutionary uh, perspective on human origins as a, as a college student and um, uh, Brooklyn College. And I, I uh, eventually uh, did my graduate studies in biological anthropology and and. Uh, um, but I, I never lost interest in, in religion and I never, I never ceased to uh, sympathize with, with religious people up, up to a point. Uh, I mean, you've, you've pointed out in one of your blog postings that, uh, that religious, uh, um, beliefs have, have seriously gotten in the way of people, uh, uh, doing the right thing in in the pandemic in some communities, and and so you know, you, you get to that, you get you get uh, of course to even to violence on behalf of religion, and I'm 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 not in favor of that, but that that's uh, it's a small fraction of what religion means in in the world and human life, and um, I was uh, I was invited to speak at a at a conference in 2006 called Beyond Belief uh, 2006. And uh, it was um, attended uh, by by two of those uh, uh, aggressive atheists that you mentioned, uh, Sam Harrison and, and, uh, and Richard Dawkins. Uh, Daniel Bennett was also a presence there uh, indirectly in an interesting way because uh, he, he was supposed to be there had a had a medical event uh, and uh, was in the hospital, but sent a very interesting essay from the hospital that that had a, also had a big role in the conference. And I, uh, you know, I I had to sit there for for three days, being subjected to this this relentless assault on on religion and and really uh, completely one sided. And, um, and, and also to the arrogance of, of these particular people, Chris, Christopher Hitchens had, had recently died and this, and this took place at the Salk Institute, um, so, and, and, um, Francis Crick, uh, co-discoverer of the structure of DNA had also, uh, recently died. He was, he was, the, uh, the leading scientist at that institute. At the sock uh, um, until his death, mm-hmm. and and um, it was kind of his, his his ghost was kind of hovering over over the conference because uh, he he uh, he was also uh, in in his day a very aggressive uh, atheist, and um, once donated money to um, to set up an essay contest in in the uk uh um the the best essay on the subject of what what shall we do with the chapels yeah (laughs) because uh, it'll be empty right Right. and and, uh uh, the prize-winning essay i believe proposed that they be turned into swimming pools 
but uh, at any rate, I just got I just got very very annoyed, uh, and and I when it finally came, it came my turn to speak on the third day of the conference, I, I sort of abandoned the, the the subject that I was originally going to speak on and just spoke about. Um, what I thought was the the, ex- the extremism, really, in, in a way, fanaticism and, and fundamental atheistic fundamentalism of these these um, scientists and philosophers, and I I, I, I formed uh, in the process of that the idea that I would someday write a book about about religion that was. Uh, you know, in a, a more uh, I love I love your uh, self description as a flaming moderate. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I, I I may have to steal that uh, for myself. Feel free, uh, yeah, feel and, free. It's not uh, trademarked. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's just just going to extremes uh, is not usually a, a good way to find out things. But they, the other thing, I mean, one of the things I said when I when I spoke there was. Look, if if uh, you were going to take us, if one were going to take a scientific uh, approach to to religion and whether religion is or is not a force for for good or evil in the world, uh, presumably you would you would open up a, a digital document and and you would make two columns and and one would be called evil done by religion and one would be called uh, good done by religion, <laughs> and, uh, but uh, what we've been uh, uh, listening to in this conference is uh, is only one column. <laughs> it's only about about the evil done by religion and the and the fact that religion is not true, and more importantly, that it's responsible. Uh, for all the violence in the in in the world, or all the wars, uh, which which by right. the way by the way it's not. And uh, yeah, well, we we and, don't we don't want to give airtime to incorrect uh, okay. well, fa- non fact. Just just, just so, a lot of a lot of um, extreme negativity, uh, right. and and you, you know they've made. Um, uh, they, they. It's not the only source of their reputations, but, but they've they've enhanced their reputations greatly uh, over the past two decades by by campaigning against religion in this very one sided way. Now, you and I have been using the word religion, but the title of your book is Believers, uh, and religion is generally considered to be a function of what's called the three B's, believing, behaving, and belonging. But you focus on believers. Uh, why is that? Well, I, 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 uh, I, don't, I don't think I omitted the, the, the other two. The title, the title is Believers. Um, but when I, especially when I try to understand the... Uh, uh, the way um, religious belief functions in human nature um, and in human life, uh, certainly behavior is an essential part and belonging is an essential part. And when you think about, you know, when, when I think about the, um, the way religions function in different, different societies, there's always, as you say, those three components. Do you uh, and, think that secularism can be considered a belief as well? Oh yeah, uh, uh, sure. It, it's uh, it's a belief system uh, which which is uh, grounded in in uh, in empirical reality uh, as much as possible, and it's. Uh, uh, even grounded in experiments that are designed to test uh, beliefs, but they are right. they are beliefs, and and uh, you know Bertrand Russell, the uh, uh, famous twentieth century 
British philosopher, I don't think he ever said it. These words, he he had he had an approach to religion, which is um, could be summed up as it's it's best not to believe things for which there is no evidence. Right, and that automatically implies, in answer to your question, that that you are supposed to believe in things that that do have evidence. But uh, equally important, uh, that's a val- that's a value statement. That's a value judgment. Of course, it says course. it's best not to believe in things for which no ev- there is no evidence. Well, best for who? Best for yeah. him? Yes. What uh, is best? Yeah. Right. And and um, it's a declaration of, in a way, it's a declaration of faith in science and and. Uh, I get that, you know, <laughs> I, uh, that, that is basically my faith, but, um, um, there's been know, a lot, there's been a lot of, uh, writing about, uh, the increasing number of people in America who identify as nuns, that is N-O-N-E-S, not right. no religion and the general decline of religion in, uh, Western countries, uh, Nevertheless, and you point this out in the book, um, 84% of the world's population identifies with a religious group. And those people are generally younger and produce more children than those who have no religious affiliation. Um, And of course, there are significant geographic variations. So what that that would mean, it seems, just mathematically, that uh, the world in general is getting more religious, not less. What what would you say are the global implications of that? Well, uh, if, first of all, um, you know, evolution is slow, and and even even the, um, with the much higher birth rates that occur in. In the, mo- in the more religious people in every country, um, which will eventually ensure, I, I, I should say parenthetically, that, that there's, there's evidence that, uh, that the in- inclinations to, to, be a, um, uh, to, to be a religious person uh, have some genetic underpinning. So therefore, if, you, you know, if you're that way and you have more children than the People who are not that way, the Bertrand Russells of the world, uh, you're going to um, eventually uh, uh, outnumber <clears throat> the, the the secular people, and uh, you know it's it's one, one of the things that that I think you've seen happen in Israel uh, in the past few decades, and the uh, the. The other, but the other side of it is that uh, is cultural evolution, and and the decline of religion is is due to uh, a fairly rapid form of cultural evolution, which uh, secular ideas spread uh, throughout, uh, especially throughout Europe, but uh, and belatedly. Uh, in in the United States, you know, the, the rise of the nuns is a is an old story in in Europe and the UK, and that's when uh, you know when when uh, Francis Crick held the uh, contest. <laughs> what shall we do with the chapels? That was that was in the fifties, I believe, or early sixties, and and uh, so that's a long standing trend in uh, 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 on um, the British and European side of the. Especially Northern Europe, um, and the, but and the United States was considered an exception for a long time, but but it it now has um, has really caught up quite a bit in the rise of the nuns, uh, uh, as it's called, and and um, it, it's it's clear that um, that the rejection of, of, of religious faith is, is an idea. Uh, it, I think it's an idea that has, I think doubt has been along around in the world as long as belief. Uh, 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 but, 
but it was very difficult uh, to sustain doubt and spread doubt uh, uh, in a world where life was short and and uh, and illness was all around you and and there were there was no scientific understanding of of, of natural disasters like this pandemic or or uh, for that matter, earthquakes or tornadoes and uh, eclipses, and people, you know, needed it. People always have needed explanations, and and uh, and people have always been anxious about their their safety in the world. <clears throat> and I think what uh, uh, what has uh, what has created the opportunity for secular ideas to spread and for religion to be to be rejected by by more people. In, in Europe, the United States, also Japan and, and Korea, I think uh, it's fair to say, and of course in the communist countries, uh, to to uh, to a large extent, that was done by force. Though, but but um, it's because it's because we feel safer in the world, and we have an education, and we have ideas about, and we have we have a more comfortable life, uh, at least many of us in, in those countries, and we have a. a uh, scientists explaining to us what causes eclipses and, and earthquakes and pandemics, and some of us believe those those stories. Okay. So we don't have a you know quite such a compelling need for for supernatural explanations or or for for uh, you know acts of God. You mentioned um, <laughs> genetics. Uh, and and uh, that brings up the fact that uh, there are some social scientists and researchers in the field of personality and religion. Uh, they they see the in individual's inclination toward religion or what they call religiosity to be a, a personal trait or a, a talent similar to being musically inclined or artistically inclined. Uh, what do you think about how that applies to individual differences in religiosity? So I, I think I think it applies strongly. Uh, I, I think that um, there there are um, many many uh, studies of twins and and adoption studies. Um, that show that identical twins uh, are more similar in their degree of religiosity or lack of it uh, than non-identical twins of the same sex. And this is a famous famous study, which uh, which is still ongoing, which has has brought together as adults many many pairs of twins uh, reared apart. Uh, this is based at the University of Minnesota, and and um, it's just uh, it's it's kind of amazing uh, the similarities that that the twins discover in, in each other if they're identical twins um, as adults have having grown up completely uh, separately, and of course there are there are also physical similarities and similarities in gestures, but there also there, there are temperamental similarities and, and similarities in, in, in religiosity. And, and, you know, there are twin pairs where the, the, tw the, the twins as infants are adopted by into different religions. Uh, but they, they both grow up um, very religious uh, within the separate religions. And it, it's a, it, 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 and it can happen the other way also. Uh, and they resemble uh, uh, their biological parents <coughs> more in religiosity than their, than, than necessarily their adoptive parents. But this, so it's not, you're not, I'm not saying that there's a genetic influence on whether you end up uh, Jewish or, or, or Protestant or, 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 or Greek Orthodox, uh, it's the dimension of religiosity within any one of those cultures that is influenced. Uh, I think I think we know clearly now is influenced by genes. Right. Let, let's uh, let's move a little closer to the content of religion and talk about awe, the emotion, uh, 
and its uh, close cousin, reverence. Uh, you, you reference in the book uh, a series of six cross-cultural studies with over 2,000 subjects that examine the impact of awe on what is called the small sense, a sense of humility. Most religions hold humility to be a value, I think, uh, but according to those studies that you reference, the influence of awe on humility can be seen beyond values in behavior. Uh, can you talk about that for us for a moment? Well, sure. I, I mean, um, I have I have uh, friends who are uh, rabbis, ministers, uh, uh, who I consulted. Um, well, uh, uh, about many things, but <clears throat> also about this this book when I was working on it, and uh, a, a friend who who, uh, who who was before decades the leading Orthodox rabbi in Atlanta, Emanuel uh, Feldman, uh, now has lived in in Jerusalem for. Um, almost thirty years since his retirement, he's uh, uh, he's in good shape in his mid nineties. Uh, and and uh, I asked him once if he if you know if I if you had to say uh, what 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 is the essence of of religion for you, um, he said awe, oh. and then he he went on to basically define it as um, uh, the feeling that there's something more important than you in, right. in the universe and something that you should feel wonder about. Now, and how, how, does, how does that connect to the behavior of people who feel awe and are religious or have humility in that context. Uh, I, I found it fascinating that you wrote about the, the behaviors. Yeah. So, I, I mean, when, when Rabbi Feldman uh, comes to Atlanta, uh, he'll, he'll come, uh, if, if the timing is right, he'll come to one of my classes, but also he, he and I have lunch together in a kosher restaurant and, uh, and he, he goes, you know, if he goes to the bathroom, uh, we wash our hands before the meal virtually and, and say the blessing and, and, uh, we say the grace after meals. And, uh, and also if he, if he goes to the bathroom, he comes out and he says one of the, one of the longest, uh, um, one of the longest prayers, uh, in daily life. Which is uh, thanking God that all the basically all the pipes work the way they're supposed to, and and um, you know I don't mean to be to be mocking it. I think it's just, that's it's and you say in that prayer uh, if even one of these these components of my body were to to go go wrong or or stop doing what it's supposed to do i wouldn't i wouldn't live another second and you know when he when 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 he and people like him um who are who are real believers uh, not just going through the motions um say a prayer like that they, they are feeling uh you know profound profound gratitude for for the mystery of, of being alive and and how how complex it is, and how uh, how they stand in awe of of, uh, of the God whom they believe um, makes this not only created this, but but makes it possible uh, every minute of every day for every person. So, so it's that that sense of um, something more important than me, something. Some consciousness in in the world that knows more than I do that 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 helps helps me uh, uh, that is uh, I think one of one of, and one of the things that I uh, that I 
uh, emphasize that not everybody does. I mean, the, the aggressive atheists like to talk about fear of death and how religious people are, are just just want to believe that they're going to live forever and be resurrected uh, uh, after death, and and that's the, the it's that fear of death that makes them. Religious, I think that's a. T- I think that's part of, part of it, but it's a it's a, it's a small part, and uh, and it or it's just it's just part. It's it's. Uh, uh, I think one big thing that that a lot of people overlook is is companionship. Uh, I mean, people people like Rabbi Feldman uh, feel like God is, is is interested in what they're doing, watching them all the time. Uh, they think that God will will uh, will notice when they when they say a prayer a, a prayer a blessing over over bread that, uh, in a way that's heartfelt instead of um, you know robotic <laughs> routine and and um, and there's a this wonderful. Uh, uh, Series of studies by uh, uh, the anthropologist uh, Tanya Luhrmann. Um, I think I think her book is called "When God Answers Back," but it's really about it's about fundamentalist Christians who who believe that that Jesus is with them all the time, mm-hmm. and who have coffee dates with Jesus, and you know, set out a cup cup of coffee for him, and and uh, and take walks. With him and talk to him and and uh, and sometimes believe that they're being answered. It, so I think a big a big part of religion is is awe. A big part of it is is having the companionship of that of that consciousness that you believe is uh, is more is so much more powerful than than you. One of the this podcast's earlier guests a few months ago, sometime last year, uh, was Per Granqvist. He's a Swedish psychologist who studies uh, attachment, psychological attachment, mm-hmm. and religion. He's also Swedish when they are a well-known non-religious country. And he suggested that Scandinavians might find the consolations of faith in the state, because in Scandinavia, the state is benign, it's generous, it's trustworthy. There's a lot of confidence in what the state does. How does that idea fit with your own study of religion? Well, I, I mean, one of one of the, the three Bs is bonding, and um, and it surely is true of of uh, religions and cultures throughout the world, and as as you know from my book, I I don't I don't just consider the major religions to be religions I, 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 and faiths. I, I I you know I had a personal experience of uh, of the religion of the uh, people usually called the Bushmen of, of Southern Africa, and. Um, you know there are thousands of different religions uh, in the world, but uh, each each of which might be uh, many of which might be followed by by uh, a few hundred or a few thousand people, but going back uh, centuries and and uh, ha- having their own logic, and always part of it is 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 the binding together of the community, and the the point that. Your guest made about the um, about the Scandinavian um, welfare state um, strikes me as 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 reasonable. And when you you know, if you think back on on most of history, um, you can see that that religion is in many cases playing that role. Um, you, you know, uh, in the case of uh, uh, Judaism, uh, in the, the Israelite religion from the beginning, you have, uh, you know, treat the uh, treat the stranger in your midst decently, because we remember that you were strangers in the land of Egypt, and 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 uh, um, you have. Uh, 
you know, you're urged to be the, uh, compassionate toward the, the widow and the orphan, and you're uh, and you're urged to uh, to give uh, to Dachau charity uh, in a in a significant way, and you and Jewish communities throughout the world, and in, in a way, uh, Israel is uh, despite its 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 internal. Uh, divisions the Israeli Jewish community is, is, is kind of the ultimate example of, of, uh, of mutual support uh, among believers in in Judaism and um, and you know the various churches have played uh, played a similar role uh, and uh, and that role is now played by by the welfare state and a lot of uh, in a lot of advanced countries and maybe more so in Sweden than, than uh, most other countries of the world I think that that um, that bonding that sense of, of uh, something to ho hold the community together is uh, uh, is shown in in countries that have a greater acceptance of welfare. Than, for instance, uh, uh, the United States does, and Israel. Israel is one that that does have quite a bit of acceptance of, of that. And and uh, um, in the United States, it's been you know we're having these these, these bitter fights right this minute about uh, about uh, the new president's attempts to um, uh, to basically help people with with government. Money <laughs> to increase taxes on corporations and and uh, and, and uh, help people uh, recover from the pandemic, but also uh, create jobs uh, and and you know this is basically this is considered uh, socialism and even communism by many in America. Right, and, a, and an unfortunate step in the direction of of Sweden, uh, but but the United States, I, I think one of the exceptional things about the United States is a tremendous uh, amount of individualism and a, and a, a kind of knee jerk reaction against uh, collectivism. Except when it comes to you know people who are like you, and that means people go to the same church as you or the same. Yeah. synagogue and and then you then you can get get you know with the program of 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 charitable giving and 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 in fact religious people generally do volunteer more and give more charity than secular people in uh, in the United States so that's there, right. uh, that's totally true lots of lots of uh, lots studies of st have supported that right so uh, I, I guess there's a confounding of political ideology and religious ethic of service uh, but uh, let's yeah, um, I, I mean if you if you ask Democrats uh, you know or, uh, uh, people or people like like uh, uh, like the Swedes um, about charity, I think they would tell you I, I give through, through taxes. I vote for Correct. I vote pe for people who are gonna gonna take my money away and give it to, to the needy, right. uh, and that's my way of giving charity. And so, uh, let's talk for a minute about uh, the relationship between religion and happiness. It's it's a, a very interesting field of research and also a little puzzling. Uh, because there seems to be a contradiction between the studies that are conducted within countries, which usually find that religious people are the happiest within that country or city. Um, but then studies that compare countries find that the happiest countries in the world are among the least religious. They the countries that come out as happiness on those studies are the same Scandinavian when Finland, Norway, Sweden, Iceland, Denmark, they're always competing for the top five places in happiness. So how would you reconcile yeah. those and two? Israel is up there too. It never ceases to amaze me that Israel com comes out, you know, like number 11 or 12 and in, in those 
you know, lists of hundreds of countries uh, with, all, with all its with all its problems, with all its That's service. True. But but let's just focus on the relationship between religion and happiness. What what do you think? What do you think differentiates those two apparently contradictory findings? Yeah, well, I I, I you know I I, um, I think it, you're right. It's a com- it's a complex issue. Um, most studies within within countries find uh, uh, that more religious people are 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 happier uh, and and um, there are exceptions to that where uh, um, where a person uh, has punitive uh, religious beliefs and and is is always thinking about about a punitive god or punitive you know experiences and after death uh, those people are an exception to the, to that rule, mm-hmm. but um, I, I think for for the most part, it it organizes people's thinking about about life and progressing through life and death, and uh, in a way that that makes them feel better, less anxious. Uh, that there's a purpose in life. That there's, as I said, there's a, you, you're never alone. If, if you're religious, because um, you have the companionship of, of God or another supernatural being, um, and um, and you are not wondering like so many people do about what so much about what your purpose in life is, uh, and and you're not wondering maybe as much about what the right thing is. And you might you might have what I, I would consider the wrong idea about what the right thing is. Like if you, you know, if you're a, a Shiite terrorist who, who bombs a, a Sunni uh, mosque, uh, for example. Uh, but, um, but on the whole, I think, I think it just makes people um, comfortable with their place in life. Now, when you compare different countries and and that can be a bad thing, but when you compare different countries, then you're getting into the problem of, of which way do the uh, do the causal arrows go? Um, the the uh, one of the most consistent trends is uh, among among countries is that more developed countries become become uh, less religious as their wealth and and health. And education uh, increase. So, what I would say is, when you compare when you compare countries, so a, a possible answer to your very good question and the contradiction uh, is uh, is that um, the happiness comes first in those countries. That is, the country becomes becomes wealthier, more peaceful healthier uh, and and um, and better educated that um, people become happier for those reasons and they uh, and they turn to religion less in oh. other words it's not because they're not religious that they're happy but maybe right. the other the other way around <laughs> right right I, and and that reminds me of a sentence in your book that really struck me, uh, and I'd like you to expand on. The sentence is, faith recruits cognitive mechanisms, but they are fueled by fear, loneliness, and longing. Expand on that, please. Sure. Well, that uh, there's, there's, there's an aspect of that that uh, uh, it's kind of a little bit of inside baseball, as we say, yeah. <laughs> in this country. That that is, there's a there there is a movement um, which has been, which has contributed a lot of interesting ideas uh, um, to explain religion among psychologists to to, to explain religion by uh, but purely by cognitive mechanisms. Uh, an exam- one example would be. Um, uh, theory of mind, the the 
the ability that humans have more, we think more than any other species to, uh, to imagine the thoughts of other people and to think about other people's thoughts and, 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 uh, and that, uh, because of that cognitive mechanism, we extend that to supernatural beings that we, not just, not just other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, a- another, um, uh, c- idea in cognitive psychology of religion is, uh, is sometimes called the agency detection device. Uh, you, you are, your brain has evolved to, um, to assess and uh, detect and assess agency that is uh, willful action in another individual. Right. Or in a a predator, or a snake, or or a um, uh, an animal that you're trying to to hunt, uh, and uh, and these are all entities that have actually have agency, and and um, and then you you know you you imagine you're a hunt, hunt, hunter or a gatherer. Uh, walking through uh, uh, through a forest, or and and uh, and you hear something, um, uh, and you have an impulse to to uh, attribute agency to to think that that something some being willfully made the sound, and uh, then you find out that it's only a, a a branch that fell from a tree, not a not a bear coming after you so that's a that's if you're going to make a mistake and you know that's the mistake you want to make not the other one right you don't want to just assume that it's a branch falling then find out that it's a bear so so those are adaptive uh, cognitive mechanisms but but a lot of the people who 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 write about cognitive psychology of, of of religion don't it, to me, don't don't get to the heart of of, uh, of religion and and faith, which is um, uh, to me more more emotional than just cognitive. It's it's not just about having certain thoughts. It's about about dealing with with your your anxiety uh, uh, and fear. Uh, it's about uh, it's about attachment. Um, also, the the the, uh, the transfer of of um, our ability to to love and and to to experience love from others, uh, and and um, and to to have that uh, within a religious framework. I was I was at a memorial service yesterday for the father of a friend. And young, a uh, uh, young Baptist minister. Uh, very nice, very nice ser- service. Uh, uh, poor, poor white Georgia family with some black adoptees in it, and and it was, it was a, uh, it was a nice uh, memorial for for uh, a good man who, uh, and and but the. Um, the young uh, man who was uh, who, who was running the service said, um, "You know, the, the, this was a man who had a lot of love for a lot of people. His his children, his four children, his grandchildren, his great grandchild, uh, his extended family, and um, and he and he said, you know, I won't get it exactly, but it, he basically said, I, I want you to know that that's how God feels about you.'" That's how Jesus feels about you. Jesus loves you all the time. It's lovely. And yeah. and uh, uh, and I think I don't. I'm not sure Orthodox Jews would say that God loves them all the time, but but God certainly, uh, you know, chesed um, uh, and 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 loving kindness is certainly one one aspect of the. the um, of, of the feeling that Jews attribute to to God that that is positive toward us, and, and forgiveness is another one, and and uh, um, 
and people have relationships to to supernatural beings, and the the and we have, yeah, I think those those have to be understood in terms of the psychology of emotion, psychology of, of attachment, psychology of, of relationships, not just the um, you know psychology of cognitive mechanisms, which also has a role. Well, when you talk to play about and explaining this, yeah. When you talk about all the positives, as you just did, a loving God, a forgiving God, and the experience of awe and humility, we should, just to be fair, take a look at the dark side of religion. Now, you mentioned it with the Sunni-Shiite religious terrorism and war. Um, Would you say, from your studies and your insight, that the dark side of religion is simply the dark side of human beings, uh, wherever they are. We we have the uh, the dark side, the malevolent side, the selfish side, and religion. It get it gets expressed through religion the same way it would get expressed through business or secular culture or anything else. Or is there something dangerous and malevolent in religion itself? Well, I mean, I, the, the first thing I did when I started trying to plan this book was I put a little sticky note on my computer uh, uh, desktop, which I, I basically listed uh, all the kind of, all the things that, different things that, that go into uh, religion. And the first one was awe, uh, the sacred and profane fear, spirituality, ritual and rites of passage, taboos, uh, belief, explanation, narrative, altered states of consciousness, and go on and on. But the last thing was group identity slash xenophobia. So when you talk about the, uh, the three Bs uh, of religion, um, which uh, I somehow never came across that before, but it's another thing I'm going to steal from you, Renee. Uh, the, the belief, um, uh, behavior, and bonding. Right. Absolutely, all three in every in every religion, and and uh, bonding uh, has a downside, which which uh, you know I don't want to just just mention it in in uh, in relation to, uh, to Muslim divisions. You know, they're, they're very uh, reminiscent of the bitter divisions within Christianity, of course, centuries of war in Europe, and and. Uh, uh, also, terrible divisions within within Judaism. Uh, um, a, a lot of a lot of which you see in in Israel, and and, and so the the group identity, uh, the the other side, the dark side, as you say, the coin of, of bonding and group identity is is xenophobia. Is a you uh, one of the ways that you uh, express your uh, your bonding to your own group and your membership in your own group is by who you exclude and who you look down on and who you um, are afraid of uh, in somebody else's group and and it's um, it's. Yeah, I, I, I just wanted to tell a short, short version of this old, old joke to, about the Jewish Robinson Crusoe who finally gets gets rescued, and he asks the captain, the ship captain, to to come and look at the different things he's built uh, on the island before they go away, and because uh, he's proud of it, and he shows him his carpentry shop and his kitchen and his bedroom, and and then he takes him to this building that's bigger than all the others, and he says, "That's the synagogue where I go and worship," and. And the captain points to the opposite side of the clearing and says, oh, what's that other big building? It looks just like this one. And the, and the guy says, that's the synagogue I wouldn't set foot in if you paid me a million dollars. I think that that, that is, uh, you know, it's a lot of truth in that, in that joke about how people feel about, about, um, other branches of their own religion forget about forget about uh, you know other people's religion right. and um, and there's 
there's kind of an inherent con- contradiction in a way in, in, in uh, ecumenism, which, which I think is, since I don't think that religion can be abolished, I think that ecumenism, ecumenical communication and mutual respect is absolutely essential for the future of the world. Uh, we have to have, uh, you know, I wanted the last line of my book to be live and let live. My, my, uh, um, my editor, uh, Norton said that, that would be terrible for sales. It's too, <laughs> it's too bland and, you know, but like you, I'm a flaming moderate. So, uh, you know, to me, live and let live is very important statement. And, and it's something that would make the world very different. Um, uh, uh, with all its different identities that people have, you know, and that I believe are are, are never going to be homogenized and never should be homogenized, but there there has to be uh, there has to be a, a, a high level of acceptance of, of of people who think differently from you, and uh, who have if you're religious who have different ideas about God. If you're not religious. And they have ideas about God that you think are silly. Uh, well, as long as they're not hurting you, mind your own business and <laughs> go on, go on with your pursuit of science and teaching science and philosophy to your heart's content, and try and enlighten uh, people, but don't attack them. For, well, finally, for... I'd like to uh, ask you to comment on um, a, the a statement by a, a very spiritual scientist, first-class scientist, who by his writings seemed to have been very spiritual, um, Albert Einstein, uh, he said, the cosmic religious experience is the strongest and noblest driving force behind scientific research. What do you think he meant by that? Well, he he uh, he often said things like that. He sometimes said pretty negative things about about religious belief. But he he also said another another famous quote of his was uh, the most beautiful thing we can experience is is the mysterious. It is the source of all true art and science. And um, he obviously experienced. Uh, the mysterious and he you know he thought about the universe in a in a way that was secular but 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 spiritual and and um, and respectful of the of the mysteries and and trying to understand them and he was you know he, he was committed to science and and that was his path but um you know the, the, there's uh this this uh, acronym that Steve, Stephen Jay Gould, famous uh, biologist, came up with called NOMA, and it stands for non-overlapping mis, uh, mis- magisteria. That's the that's the acronym, and it mm-hmm. comes from his book about about science and religion, which says, okay, so these are magisteria. These are these are huge, uh, you know, systems of thought that don't have to overlap and they used to come into conflict and sometimes they still do, but they don't have to. And so, uh, and, and my, you know, my answer to Noma was that the chit for neither one is magisterial. That is, um, e- each one is a, science and religion are, are candles in the darkness. And, um, the darkness is still much greater, <laughs> than either or, or both of them uh, so far. And not only do, do, do they not have to come into conflict, or, but, but they can actually have very uh, different purposes and, and domains in, in human life that they can, uh, um, that they can occupy and, and have, have serve a purpose in. Um, and so I think of, my my metaphor is for religion and science is is uh, is two candles in a in a huge dark. Yeah, that's a, that's a good metaphor to leave us with. Mel, thank you for taking the time to talk with us about 
these issues that are really the closest ones to the heart of humanity, religion, faith, spirituality, meaning. I very much appreciate the conversation. I do too, and I, I, I Renee, and, and I really appreciate your your wanting to have this this chat, and I, I've enjoyed it a lot. And thanks to our researcher, Bela Pasikov. Bye bye.